Welcome to episode 254 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. I am Brian Levin. I am Brian Levin. And I'm Brian Levin. Did you just go like Brian Levin Knights? <laughs> what? <laughs> Today we hung out with <laughs> Fabian Perez. Uh, he was a... We, I met him when he was a design director at GitHub. He's now leading design at Splice, which is a music version control company. It's super rad. Yeah. Super exciting. You're going to hear about that in a minute. Before we get into that... We, we want- talk about the music industry for once on this godforsaken yeah, you know. uh, hellscape of a podcast. We've been music industry details for 253 episodes and we've never talked about it once. Yeah. Uh, Fabian sets us straight. Before we get into this wonderful episode, I want to thank our sponsor for making it possible. And that is Abstract. You know how we're talking about version control and Fabian worked on version control and now he's working on version control? This is version control for design. It's almost like version control is this groundbreaking paradigm that will change and enlighten the way that you and people work together on building things. And that most industries are only 10 years behind on it. Yes. And design is finally catching up thanks to the hard work of the team at Abstract. They're building a source of truth for design files for designers so that you can work together without having conflicting copies, duplicate copies of all of your work. And the version control lets you easily go back and forth in time, uh, fixing mistakes, overriding changes, uh, collaborating together back into that source of truth. Uh, It lets you collaborate with stakeholders more easily because people don't have to have Sketch on their computers. They can just collaborate directly and abstractly, comments and discussions, and get your entire product team involved. Level up. Upgrade yourself. At goabstract.com, they're offering a free month trial for you to get on board. That's at goabstract.com. Y'all, this is it version control this is this is the time if you've been listening to the show and have been like ah these abstract ads are interesting what are you doing go to goabstract.com yeah what are you doing what are you doing with your life if you're not version what are controlling you doing? all of your design what are you even doing thank you to abstract. abstract colon what are you even doing thank you to abstract for enlightening uh the design world we we appreciate your efforts thanks to abstract Thank you to you. I don't know why I thanked you at the beginning, but now we're going to get into episode 254 with Fabian Perez. I'm uh, Fabian Perez. Uh, I'm uh, Fabraham Lincoln on, on Twitter. Uh-huh. Uh, sort of snap decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, I grew up in the Northeast of the U.S. Um, went to school in Boston, made it out to San Francisco after that. And then uh, I'm in New York now. Coast to coast. Coast to coast. To coast. Because yeah. now you're back here recording. Yeah, yeah, I came out specifically for the podcast, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah 3, hey, he made a joke time. for us. He did it. He did it. It's a joke that we make very often that people, <laughs> people came out only for this. People fly out to record. Uh, what are you working on right now? Uh, I just started uh, working at Splice, which is a, uh, a music company based in New York. Um, I'm running the product design team there, which is super exciting. It's pretty small right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, six of us total. Um but uh, yeah, the company is sort of early in its history, uh, which is, I don't know, I, I always love working at this uh, at this scale. Mm-hmm. I think this is where the really fun kind of messed up stuff happens. Which Six people? The team, yeah, the team is six. The company's 100, but... Oh, um, oh, oh, yeah. I thought the company was six. Yeah, like, no, no. Shit. Um, that's, that's a little too small. I haven't done that in a long time. Uh-huh. I don't really want to go back to that. <laughs> that's, that's a little too small. Can't blame you. We're at three right now. <laughs> <laughs> Good find 50 people on the street to just come inside. Is that... Not that just heard them in. Yeah, you know, rude. You, you might find a few in there. <laughs> just walked. It's a welcome party to SF. That's just that's what you get. Yeah, welcome to the podcast studio. I love being back. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs> uh, for people who don't know. Yeah. Um, so Spice is a, a, a few things. Um, initially, it started out as a version control and collaboration tool for uh, musicians. Uh, so you could, uh, if you're working on uh, some producing some song, you could upload it to Spice, we'd version it, and uh, you could have people kind of comment in certain areas and work with them to you know refine that song. Uh, these days, um, Spice is also a sounds marketplace. So for producers uh, who want to uh, develop their sound, um, find inspiration, that kind of thing. They can go and find just millions of samples of all kinds of you know, kicks, claps, 
Owl sounds is kind of a owl weird sounds. one. There's owl sounds. It's not like uh, a collection, not many, but uh, there are, there are some. It's it's kind animal of noises. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I want samples really? of Brian pretending to be an owl. <laughs> would be the ideal Ooh. sample, I think. I, I could use that sample. I could yeah. cut that. Okay. Uh, you can you can make some money in spice. It'd be great. How much money? How, let's see how how what the interest for uh, for owl sounds is right now. Let's, owl, let's find owl, out. Owl by Brian. <laughs> and, and nature by Brian. I'm kind of down with that. Yeah. <sighs> That's yeah. wind. I, there's there's, there's got to be a market for it you out there. Dumbass. <laughs> it's a good it's a good wind sound. Okay, so there's version control, collaboration, marketplace. Marketplace, yeah. Is that it? Um, and then something interesting that, that uh, Splice started doing somewhat recently was, um, you know, they they sort of there's this premise uh, that um, Splice wants to get more gear into uh, artists' hands. They they want to make music more accessible, music creation more accessible to people, uh, and if you've ever created music or use Ableton or any of those tools, you'll know that um, it's really expensive. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, there's all kinds of software, all kinds of hardware. And, you know, if, I think the last time I bought Reason, it was like 400 bucks or something yeah. like that. That's crazy. Uh, Ableton, yeah. I think, is more expensive. I think it's like in the low thousands range. Yeah, it's it's it can get up there. Maybe that's for the studio version. For the studio remember. version, yeah. Um, it can get up there. And I think that's, that's tough if you're trying to create a career out of music. But you have to pay for those things. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, well, like, where's the money going to come from? So you, you know, probably hold on to the job, which is distracting you from your your actual love. Of or you pirate music. it, or yeah, or you do that. I would imagine is, most <laughs> most people like. I, I, I bet mean, much of that, yeah. Like how all designers start off pirating Photoshop, right? Oh yeah. We we got access to. I went to college for audio engineering, and we were given like a light version oh. of Logic, and then it like some like shitty Cubase stuff that was like the fucking worst. Uh, but we all pirated Pro Tools because <laughs> no one didn't want to use Pro Tools. Like everyone's like, I just want to use Pro Tools instead. Yeah. Like that's yeah. the only thing that will actually matter in my career. Yeah. But it's like 1400 bucks a license or something like yeah, that. It's, in, it's insane. And so, so yeah, how, Spice, to splice, how to splice solve this yeah. multi-thousand dollar software problem. <laughs> uh, Spice. Um, so what they what they found, right, that this is the case. There is a lot of piracy. Um, it sucks for the, the creators of that software. It's really not a good experience for those musicians. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't feel good. Um, so Spice came up with Rent to Own, uh, which is this model where uh, they work with manufacturers of plugins and you know all kinds of, uh, nice. ideally in the future, some other kinds of software and hardware. Um, where you pay us, you know, nine ninety nine a month for you know n number of months, and you've got the software uh, fully licensed. Um, you know, it's it's you know, you can do whatever you could do if you had bought it all at once, um, and that you can pause payments at the same time. So there's no, it's really like low pressure. It's uh, it's very low risk to you. It's it's pretty great. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, is that on the software and the hardware side, or only on hardware? Right now, just software. Oh, only uh, software. Only software, yeah. So, and mostly that feels just, like it um, makes the most sense and is the easiest to track. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the software know, is super expensive uh, as well, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, some of the plugins that you might buy for like a, a vocoder mm -hmm. could run you the cost of Ableton, right? Yeah. And so if you've if you've spent a bunch of money in Ableton, it's like cool. I don't really have four, five, six hundred dollars for this other plugin just to do this mm -hmm. one specific thing. Uh, Sorrento makes a ton of sense for those people. I mean, even compressors are, out are outrageously expensive. Yeah, like it's anything. Insane. Yeah. Is rent to own? a common pattern in software at all? Like who else has done this? I don't have any good examples um, in recent memory of people who have done this. I, I, I want to say that I have at least like vague memory of like Winamp doing like a weird thing like this, but I also, I just have tons of weird memories of Winamp <laughs> uh, way back. Like <laughs> all memories of Winamp are weird. <laughs> yeah, like, sure. Yeah, it's just Winamp was, was great. Um, so this is this is I think new for musicians and uh, particularly in the software space. Uh, it, you know, it's it's super user friendly. It's and that's the that's the premise of this whole thing, right? Like Steve uh, Spice's CEO, um, he was coming at this from that sort of user perspective. Like, what would be the most user friendly way to access this stuff? Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and you know, it's sort of built into the into the model. Like, you can't afford to pay next month. Cool, pause it. I'm like. It's fine. You can pick it back up whenever you want to, and, and as soon it just as you locks end your payments. the software somehow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then once you're um, once you're done with your payments, uh, it's yours. I like that a lot. Yeah, it seems super reasonable. It's fair. That also fits into like music software has always had like the worst DRM. Like the, there were like <laughs> dongles you used to have to like plug in. Like you always had to have a USB dongle in to use Pro Tools or something like that. Oh, so like it's always been really like obtrusive and like obstructive. So the idea of having DRM handled by a third party that can actually like 
enable more access to it while making that less of yeah. a like letting pro tools handle their own drm is, is a mistake yeah, yeah, so yeah. Bad at it. oh my god yeah i mean there's so much so much of the software uh, out there i mean there a lot of it is created by these independent um you know, these independent developers a lot of it is really great like the what you can do with it is really great but you know they're some of the lower end tools are not hiring designers and mm. they're often not designers themselves so the tools are are pretty rough to use yeah, and they if they're handling their own drm you know it's like, uh, uh, like <laughs> not a great experience so the, i i guess it's maybe surprising to me because the direction of software in the last few years several years is like no ownership in general you just pay yeah. the monthly subscription when you stop paying you no longer have access to the software there's no concept of ownership same thing with music right. and, and movies right like netflix and, and yeah, the Spotify no, concept of, no concept of ownership in movies or music i'm well, saying that that is the direction <laughs> of the about, industry right are you talking about like spotify spotify apple music netflix amazon prime HBO. i was talking about like literal rights <laughs> no, no no i'm talking about software to access yeah. these things so it's interesting that there's still this ownership model there yeah yeah, I think um, I, I don't know. I, I struggle with those those payment models because I think it makes tons of sense in the you know capitalist like I'm building a product and I really want to make a lot of money and this is great. Let me take mm -hmm. as much money as I can from you. Like, sure, it worked out for Adobe really really well, um, right? Because <laughs> yeah. it sort of lowers that entry point, so yeah. people aren't hiring it anymore. They're like, okay, it's nine bucks great. a month or whatever, yeah. cool. Um, but that you know that sort of means in the in the past, if you did pay for it, cool. Like you're you're home free. You, you pay your 800, 900 bucks and it's just yours and that's fine. Um, at the same time, there was no guarantee that, you know, when an upgrade came by, it's like, cool, I have to drop another four or 500 bucks versus, okay, cool. I'll just keep paying nine bucks a month or whatever it is. And right. the software gets updated all the time. And, um, you know, I get this stuff for what feels like for free right. um, or at least like- Relatively free. Relatively free, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, the no ownership thing is interesting though. Uh, because you sort of see that pattern even outside of software. You see it with like uh, all the top, you know, if we talk about self-driving cars, the so much yeah. of the vision that I've I've read about and heard about and you know, people are excited about it's like, cool, like you don't have to buy a car anymore. Like cars will just come out of nowhere and pick you up. And you, you pay just go for a monthly want. service and just go. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it's it's interesting to think about that just kind of out, even outside of software, there's uh, bikes, don't buy a bike, just city bike everywhere. Or, yeah. you know, a, a bird I, I hear is a, big deal around here oh, you, you, you've heard of the scooter problems here <laughs> interesting <laughs> the problem isn't the scooters the problem is scooter legislation yes <laughs> which is it. a very funny thing to say at all I love it. Yeah. Ah, the scooter legislation yeah you know those like razors <laughs> <laughs> ah yes uh it seems like yeah the music industry's always had <laughs> this incredibly hard time figuring out the concept of ownership yeah and that's why spotify is having like i mean they're doing fine i guess i don't really know but they still struggle with like <laughs> who the fuck owns the music you know yeah right um yeah so. i mean it's still that's in the music industry that's still such a weird part of the like record labels uh you know there's still there's still some value there but it in an age where you can distribute almost anything everywhere to everyone pretty much instantaneously it's weird to need a middleman to yeah. you know negotiate all these things on your behalf when like or at least, you know, taking so much of the cut of, yeah. what you're, of what you're making. The whole industry has been like completely upended by streaming generally though. Like yeah. uh, tours used to be a loss leader that would lead to album sales and yeah. now album sales are nothing. So now they yeah. promote the tours, which yeah. is crazy. Yeah. Like, yeah. So bizarre. Spotify is an interesting example. You know, so if we look at Netflix and their pursuit of, you know, their own content, right? They're spending ton you know, billions of dollars on their own stuff. Um, it actually starts to make a ton of sense when you think of Spotify doing this, because they have the same set of data. I remember going through a tour of, of Spotify, I was visiting there and um, one of the engineers said, yeah, we, we don't see ourselves as a music company, we're a, we're a data company. Um, mm. And I think I, I think what he was trying to say is like, you know, we're trying to understand everything about how you listen to music. And that's not just so that we can put music, you know, the right playlists, uh, we can create the right playlist for you. It's like, we can actually just start creating music in the same way that Netflix creates TV shows and you'll never know that it wasn't like yeah so what if it's not a band if Spotify becomes an album right I mean from a business perspective that's like pseudo well. dystopian though <laughs> in some ways I mean I guess if they're we've, like a, we've figured out the perfect algorithm of music that has the right chords that you well I feel like you don't like. really need uh, a person to generate most electronic music <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Maybe yeah. that's just shitty. No, the AI is getting just being shitty. No, but, AI is getting good there. It's becoming indistinguishable. Like I feel like you could generate pop songs. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, 
So that's a weird sort of existential thing. Yeah, right. <laughs> because, uh, you know, I think in the beginning, um, if you see it is a parallel with, uh, let's let's take Uber as an example, right? Like having drivers in, human drivers in cars is kind of a half step to their ultimate vision where it's like, cool, there's just like autonomous no, cars and like cut the humans out, which is- what all of us want. <laughs> I don't want to talk to a person to have to get to a place. It's occasionally nice. It's not so nice at four in the morning when you're going to the airport because you booked a flight by accident. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a little too early. Um, <laughs> yeah, you fucked up. <laughs> yeah, a few times, a few times. Um, so yeah, so that's, you know, if you look at that and in the Spotify uh, example, in the interim before AI, let's say is good enough to create really good music, uh, Spotify can just go out, find a studio band and cool. It's, you won't ever know who the studio band is is and who, will, who makes up that band, but mm-hmm. they can create all kinds of music. They can play their instruments that Spotify knows you're going to like. And eventually and Spotify learns how to make music themselves and you cut out the, the band. I mean, this is kind of a cynical view, but yeah, right. Uh, no more session guitarists. <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's, it's weird to think about. Huh. Yeah. Uh, weird future coming up. Uh, odd future is how that's nice. said. <laughs> nice. Uh, I'm interested in the, the version control aspect as well, because, um, well, right now design is finally starting to figure out version control with, tools like abstract and uh we're I, just finally getting it outside of <laughs> github yeah we're like <laughs> seriously this has yeah, been out of engineering sorry so i'm curious the story there from i mean i know you're you're new at splice <laughs> but like the history, you tell us your origin story no, like no, the, the but whole like thing why, of why is the music industry it seems like why are the is this the first attempt at version control for audio files or have there been past attempts and why is this interesting now I can tell you, um, I I know of projects here and there that I've tried to do, or I've thought about this kind of thing. Um, I, I think it makes sense from a, um, music is an iterative thing, right? In the same way that software is. So it's not like you lay down some tracks and then you're, and then you're done. It's, it's, um, you're constantly working on this thing, tweaking it until it's just right. And maybe sometimes it's never right, but, um, version control makes a lot of sense when you're, when you say, uh, if I tweak this thing now, Will I ever go back? You know, if I have a bad idea and I go down a bad path, how will I get back to where I was before? Oh, I'm on sort of board. This makes so much yeah. sense. Is a lot of it like <laughs> yeah. sound data, like wave files, or is it like a lot of MIDI data? I imagine there's probably some of both, but some of both, yeah. Um, so Splice um, early, early on when they were figuring out the um, you know this whole idea of you know, version mm-hmm. control, like what does that what does that look like for musicians? Um, you know, they they were taking Ableton files, reverse engineering them, and figuring out how to extract the metadata from these uh, these files and actually like present it in a web UI, uh, right? So you can it's not just like the waveform that you see; you see that, and also you know you sort of exploded out all the instruments, all the tracks, mm-hmm. all the sound effects, all those things, uh, and we have this thing called the DNA player, we call it, and you can see how the track is sort of like what the track is made up of, um, which you know is sort of interesting if you think about. Um, it, really any kind of song it doesn't have to be electronic, but um, a waveform doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Um, you know, highs, lows, peaks, things like that, but um, or volume intensity. But um, if you can actually see where the drums are and uh, where that's, you know, some uh, lead guitar comes in or some solo comes in mm-hmm. and exactly where how the, how the song is arranged, uh, suddenly as a musician, you sort of, you know, you got this all this new information to say, oh, interesting. This is this is how this song is made. Yeah. There's like uh, timing and key values and exactly. like velocity and all that shit, probably. Yeah. So that's um, th- I mean, that's a big piece of just helping you understand how the song is made. But to your question about version control, um, I think that was the that was a clear opportunity, right? It was like, cool, we can not only show you how this stuff is evolving over time and mm-hmm. how the track is being arranged over time, um, but we can actually show you like it's you can keep your stuff safe. Yeah, you can experiment, mm-hmm. and that was the whole idea. Is yeah, that, you, know, you can you can experiment. You can do all kinds of crazy <laughs> stuff, and always get back to where you were before, um, without fear that you know you'll lose you'll lose what you had. Which it, like as soon as you mentioned it, I was like, that's exactly what I would have wanted. Like when I was working yeah. in that area, like that's so obvious. Like yes, oh my god, it, that was like terrifying to like make a change because you're like not sure if you're going to go back. Yeah, it just makes me wonder what else is missing version control because, like, as a paradigm, it makes so much sense from the safety and persistence as well as the reversibility of decisions. Like, makes sense, right? <laughs> I'm just yeah. surprised that you know music took this long. I guess. Yeah, I think 
it's an underserved, I think it's an underserved uh, community, uh, musicians, uh, particularly electronic uh, musicians and producers. Um, the splices, splice showed up at the right time uh, in the right place. And they sort of, you know, the, the conditions were such that so many of the businesses doing any of this kind of thing or thinking in this kind of space, you know, even the sounds marketplace, they're, they're legacy businesses, right? And they had no motivation to um, innovate or to, you know, improve the user experience or to, to really be better at anything. They're sort of like, oh, you know, we've had this marketplace, so whatever, let's just throw it out there and we're making money, so why make it any right. better? But um, Splice approaches from that, that user-centered perspective, like what, what's the best thing that we can possibly do for the humans who are making these things? Um, and it's this sort of clear winner, right? Mm -hmm. When you, it turns out like when you care about, when you give care to users and you huh. sort of th design things thoughtfully, uh, it turns out you can actually uh, be successful. So Super weird. So weird, right? Uh, I'm also very excited that we caught you sort of right as you're joining and ramping up. Uh, how's it going so far? Um, this he is hates it, <laughs> Brian. <laughs> no, it's I, awful. It's just, I, it's just terrible. Uh, yeah. No, it's, it's really great. Um, I think, this is well. This is the first job I've started in five years, so yeah, uh, I kind of forgot yeah, like, what that was like. <laughs> yeah, what are you what are you doing? What's your strategy or approach? Um, a lot of listening. Yeah, really, and I think I mean this is sort of like, audio. Got it. <laughs> cool, yeah. listening to music. Got it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of that, right? A lot of a lot of music. Uh, a lot of people. I think this is sort of the um, one of those obvious things when you first join a company. It's you don't change too much. Just just listen a bunch and figure out where the pain points are and. Um, try to understand how the system is working and how it got there in the first place before you kind of, you know, I, I think this is impulse uh, when leaders come into a new place and say, we must reorg. Because I need that, my I stamp. My market. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I just, I just don't think that's interesting or useful uh, at all. I think uh, a lot of people are like, oh, I'm coming with fresh eyes. Like, obviously, like I can see problems. These people probably don't even know they exist. <laughs> <laughs> I should come in and change everything. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to save the company from, from itself. Yeah. Um, and that's an easy trap to fall into. You know, I, I think for sure there are things uh, at the company that, um, you know, they, they scaled so quickly. Uh, I think last late last year, there were 30 or so people and now they're, you know, just over a hundred. And, um, that's, that's, that's real, you know, that's a, that's real mm -hmm. growth really quickly. And if you're not prepared for that, um, you sort of forget where the edges are mm -hmm. when you're at 30 people and the edges start to become very clear and they, there aren't, there aren't edges anymore when you're a hundred people and you start to think, oh my God, what happens when we're 300 people? We can't possibly get there in the state that we're in. So, um, that's the that's the place where I'm excited to make uh, a contribution. Is having done it at, at GitHub and having seen a lot of mistakes and a lot of successes. Um, I, you know, I, I'm looking forward to not repeating any of the mistakes and hopefully looking really <laughs> smart when I bring some of the learnings. To, to we'll we'll see how that how that goes. Okay, we'll <laughs> we'll get a follow up at some point. Did you look smart? Uh, your your role is head of design. Is that the title? Uh, or? Director of product design. Director of product design. Is that purely management work or are you going to be doing IC design work as well? Uh, right now, mostly mostly management. Um, the design team is pretty small, uh, but it's never, um, it's, you know, it's, it's really had no structure and, and no leader and um, nobody sort of helping the team grow and help them understand. Six is like right around the time when you like start to need that extra level, right? Yeah, like, yeah, I think so. Um, it's it's sort of the the there are people who have been there long enough where they're starting to wonder, hey, what does career growth actually look like? And yeah, how do like am I a senior designer? Like what you know what's wh who am I? <laughs> and um, I think that this is the this is the right time where I can come in and say, okay, cool, I can I can provide that that kind of structure. You should come in and say, everyone's a creative director now. <laughs> <laughs> Problem solved. And you're a creative director. <laughs> and you're a creative. Yeah. Um. So that you know that's something I'm looking forward to. Um. As far as I see work goes, the the kind of um, I, I f it'll likely be more strategic work, right? So mm -hmm. uh, figuring out, you know, when Steve, the CEO, says, "Oh, this thing is really interesting," we should figure something out around this thing. Um, it's figuring out, okay, what does he mean? Uh, how is that, how are we going to work that into where we're going, and what can I communicate to everybody else in the org to make sure that we don't derail anything, but that you know we're building the right things responsibly and, and all that. And mm -hmm. so that's the kind of um, that's the kind of work that I, I think of. I, I I'm unlikely to open Sketch for a while. Uh, uh, does that feel okay? Do you yeah. miss doing that? Or? You were a director at GitHub. Yeah, no, you've been anyway. in this world for a while, but yeah, um, I, I am okay with that. Um, I think I I think early early on when I got into management at GitHub, um, 
I was still doing some IC work. And so I had this, I trapped myself into this mentality like, oh, I can do this forever. I can be, I can do IC work and I can have it all, right? I can for sure do both, yeah. <laughs> I can have it all. And uh, that doesn't really scale uh, over time. And you realize that actually um, you working on one project is not the most useful thing because really where your skill set is because of where you are in the org, like you can actually be working on tons of projects at the same time if you're not the one directly doing the yeah, work. It's multiplicative. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Um, and so that's the, um, I'm excited to sort of have this this holistic view of all of Splice's product lines uh, and help our designers in each vertical sort of understand how to build the best experiences, but sort of leave them up to leave that up to them and um, not actually get into any of the, uh, the data day to day. That's cool. Uh, this might be a good point to figure out how we got to this point at all. <laughs> Is it the royal we? That's the royal we. <laughs> Where are you from? Uh, I grew up in uh, in Connecticut, a small little town. You'd never heard of it. There's no reason to. Try me. <laughs> Is that the name of it? That sounds like a Connecticut that's, kind that's, of name. Yeah, that's the, never that's heard the, of full, it. the full name of it. Never heard of it. It's Don't all even. hyphenated. <laughs> <laughs> Connecticut's weird, man. There's some weird town names. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you like it? Do I like Connecticut? Yeah. No. Okay. Uh it's you know what it, Connecticut's a great place to, to grow up. <laughs> it's great. I just hate it. <laughs> yeah, it's a great place to grow up. Yeah, uh, because it's it's pretty quiet. It's plenty of small, very American Americana towns. Um, but once you once you get out of high school, you should you should leave. Uh -huh. You should not stay in Connecticut. There's nothing there for you. Yeah, is that what you did? Yes. <laughs> Where'd you go? Uh, I went to um, I went to Boston uh, for college, and uh, when you're in Boston for college, it's great because everyone around you, it feels like everyone around you is also in college uh, because there's so many schools and students there. When you leave college, you either must, uh, you must be retired uh, or like 35 with children to uh -huh. enjoy the city. Uh, I don't know anybody or like really, you must be really into sports and then maybe the city's great. <laughs> if you, if you aren't in any of those categories, yeah. uh, I, I think Boston is just not a great, not a great place. Huh. Um, it's, it's really not fun. Interesting. Yeah. But while you're you just in really like beans, <laughs> Some, something <laughs> they're, they're really into it there. Uh, you know, that's kind of their thing. It's great. Yeah. Uh, not really my thing. What were you into when you or like what what drew you to Boston in the first place? I accidentally visited on a really, really nice spring day. And I thought this must be the greatest <laughs> city on earth. This must be this is just the most beautiful place I've yeah. ever seen. They tricked you. They did. Yeah. They did. Yeah, it was a, it was a gorgeous, you know, seven degrees. The, the flowers are blooming. It was just the perfect day. And it's like, I that is what's what's wrong with this place um and then fast forward you know three years later it's like oh no i've made a terrible terrible mistake <laughs> but i made it three yeah i if was it there took for you three years to discover that <laughs> you're probably fine well i was still in college then but uh i uh, i dropped out of college because i was working at a i was interning at a startup mm -hmm. and i was going to go back to uh my junior semester and they're like hey that's cool what if instead you took this uh this, this document that says we this is the job offer and you do that <laughs> instead and i thought about it and for maybe a couple of minutes, I was like, cool. Yeah, let's do that. That sounds great. You um, only thought about it for a couple of minutes. It was a couple of minutes. Did you really? Wow. So that's a it, was a pretty, it was a pretty snap, uh, it was a snap decision. I did it because I remember seeing um, the uh, the salary, which was not a lot by any means, but I remember seeing that and thinking, well, that's, a, that's like the biggest number I've seen. You know, well, like, when you're 20. At, yeah. yeah, I was like, we're at Urban Outfitters <laughs> making $8 an hour. It's like, wow, this is insane. It and was what I was paying for school. Like, a difference between like what you're paying for college and that yeah. it seems like a big it jump. was almost the exact reverse right like nice. the salary was yeah. what i was paying for school every year it's like cool i can rack up you know way more money in debt or i can just take this job and say mm -hmm. i'm going to short circuit the whole college thing so i did um and so because that was my junior year uh now i was in the workforce and out of school and all of my friends were still in school so they couldn't hang out they were all busy the people i worked with were you know older than me uh, so they weren't going to hang out with me. And so I hit the spot where I was like, oh man, Damn. I'm not in school and I can't really hang out with my coworkers. So what do I do? What do I do now? Um, so fortunately I found some friends who were close to my age who were, you know, slightly older, but kind of cool. And um, a couple years later, they all decided they were going to move to Sweden for some reason, just kind of randomly, not connected at all. To start Spotify or something. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, something like that. Um, so yeah, they all left and I was like, okay, everyone's still in college. All my friends left. <laughs> Shit. Boston's really, Boston really sucks. I should get out of here. And then uh, GitHub showed up. Uh, now that, okay, maybe I should ask this later, but I'm curious, do people come to you for advice about dropping out of college now? And what do you say to them? You should never take advice from me about dropping out of college. <laughs> what, what did you? And we're ending the podcast. <laughs> what did you, 
go to school for? Uh, I was studying film. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. I um, was that a thing you'd like done when you were younger and like were interested in, or just kind of like? I was interested in it. I had um, my grandmother for as long as I could remember would pick me up every Sunday and we'd mm-hmm. go see a movie. Uh, didn't really matter which one. We'd just go see a movie and we did that for years and years and years. And uh, she was my grandmother. Uh, didn't really speak much English, mm-hmm. um, but she uh, she was just like this weird like tech woman you know she was just like she, she, a new video camera would come out and she's like i need i must have it she was i hit. must understand how it works yeah she was like super in on laserdisc yeah you know uh <laughs> she just like every that format describes the person like maybe the best of anything <laughs> yeah like she just she has a, she's a, all in a, on laser a disc. huge laser disc collection what do you do with that you know so um it's so she was just super like Who techie yeah, yeah i mean you know Maybe, maybe. <laughs> but, I mean, vinyl made a comeback. It's, so to it, a, it's not too late for this. Sell to a museum. <laughs> Next up, Betamax. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She might, she might have some lying around. Yeah. Um. So she instilled in me both a, a love for technology and also film. Um. And so I thought when I got to college, I I want to make movies. I want to be a cinematographer. Uh, I loved photography, and you know, when she would buy those video cameras, she would just hand them to me and say, "Figure it out. Like, show me how to use this thing." Uh, and so I'd run around shooting videos of my cousins and my grandma and all that. And uh, I just really loved being behind the camera. Um, there are very few photos of me uh, on Facebook and other platforms because I really don't like being in front of the camera. I prefer yeah. being behind it. Yeah. Uh, and I, I thought, yeah, I should, I should go do this. I should go, uh, I should go to film school. Um, and I ended up studying film um, in college. I started a, a production company um, with a couple of uh, my best friends in, in college and we shot a bunch of music videos, uh, short films, things like that, and um, had a lot of really a lot of fun with it. And then I decided, oh my god, I, I'm never going to make money. Like I need I need a real job. Like I was just like <laughs> I don't know if I'm ever going to do this. And that's around the time that the internship at the tech startup came through. What was the startup? It was called Scavenger with no vowels. Oh fuck! Yeah, <laughs> all, all caps. Scavenger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was great. Um, initially, it started off as like a, a you know organized scavenger hunts uh, on mobile phones, right? Yeah. And then eventually, it sort of pivoted to be this sort of competitor to Foursquare and Goala. Um, so at the time, I sort of felt like, oh, cool, I'm in like I'm in league with Foursquare and Goala, but we weren't at all. You know, they clearly were like dominating. We were just a small player in Boston. Um, and then later on, they um, they turned into Level Up, um, which you might have seen, maybe you've seen around like shops or whatever they do, like mobile payment processing, um, and they've got like terminals all over, you know, stores and stuff. Interesting. They, um, it's kind of a weird path, but. Uh, I left after they had turned into uh, Level Up. I was there for a few more months and then uh, decided I wanted to do something new. So That internship was doing what? Uh, I was, uh, back then, uh, they were they called it, uh, I was a UI designer specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, but really what I was doing is like putting together a lot of, um, initially putting together a lot of marketing uh, websites because they would throw these scavenger hunts that were themed. Yep. And, you know, they would just sell like white label services. I'd make these marketing websites. Uh, and eventually it grew into a role where I was... Um, once scavenger turned into more of a like Foursquare type thing, um, I was doing more mobile UI design, and uh, the uh, the guy who hired me there, uh, who's Will Smith, I always love this because my uh, my office letter says like this position shit. reports to Will Smith, and I was oh like, this God. is this is amazing. I, I I love this. So he um, he entrusted me with uh, creating the app um, the app icon, and I was like, there's absolutely no way I can do this. I, like I I cannot do this. This is gonna be awful. I can't draw. Like this is not gonna happen. And he persisted he's like no you you got it you have to do this and i must have drawn hundreds hundreds of sketches of robots and just all kinds of things and eventually at the end of it he's like okay cool so like we actually already hired a thing i just want another person we just wanted you to like grow your grow your illustration skills or whatever so congrats um, <laughs> and you're like, i'm still kind of mad about it <laughs> <laughs> not cool will <laughs> mr smith yeah but still one of the best uh, best mentors i ever had i think he I came in with very little, um, and for some reason he thought that I would do okay. And uh, I, I think he grew my skill set you know, 10, 20, 30x in you know, a year or two. Uh, he was just such a great teacher, um, even though it was brutal at times. I feel like I'm missing a link, though. You, you went to school for film. Mm-hmm. You wanted to be a cinematographer. Yep. You're in that world, and you get an internship doing UI design at a tech startup. What happened? Yeah, um, so, I mean, we definitely weren't making any money with the, the production company. That was more like the school was limited in its resources and wouldn't really, we didn't have a ton of opportunities at school to, to go out and, and make things. And so we decided, let's just take it ourselves and figure out how to do this ourselves. 
Um, but we weren't making any money and I still was paying for so much of school. And so I decided, okay, like I can't keep living on like an Urban Outfitters, a dollar an hour, you know, uh, uh, pay rate wage. I need to find something that'll pay a little more. So the, uh, the scavenger internship just came up by chance. And I think they were, I forget exactly what they're paying, but it was, it was, you know, way more than a dollars an hour. And it was like a paid internship. And I was like, this is, this seems cool. And I had messed with computers, uh, you know, design code for since I was eight. And it was just like, okay, I, I think I can do this. You had some context there around software. And- I did. Yeah. Yeah. For a long time. I just, I always thought when I was a kid, I thought if you wanted to go do software or do any tech stuff, you had to be Bill Gates. Like you had to be that level of just intelligent and, and you know, a genius or whatever. And it's I was like, funny that not me. you went into film with that, like, which is very much that <laughs> thing, right? Like, I mean, that's why I dropped out of music schools. I, I realized that you have to be one of the like top some percent and like outrageously good yeah. to see success. And like, I feel like film is very much that same way. And software is like the opposite. Like, yeah. You can be okay, sort of I, I can be okay <laughs> and get paid a pretty good wage at a tech company, right? Um. Yeah, no, I, I, I had it, I had it flipped, and I, I think I, when I realized it was about the same time that I was taking the, uh, the full time uh, job at, at Scavenger, because I realized, oh, actually, yeah, like it's going to take a really long time to maybe, maybe make a name in cinematography and maybe get paid enough to like make a living off of this. And I, you know, I was already flirting with the idea of taking this, this job, and it's like, you know what, this seems like a much safer route. Let me, let me just try this. Let me take this risk and, and try it. Um, so at least there's like an actual number here and film is just sort of like question mark for, I don't know how long. Yeah. In your defense, Fabian Prez is an awesome director of photography. Name. Like it's very good. <laughs> yeah, it is good. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> has the interest in cinematography stuck with you? Is that a side thing for you to pursue? It has. Um, yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I think about it a lot. Um, my, uh, I'm still, you know, very close with the the two guys that I was uh, shooting stuff with back in college, and one of them is a writer, and the other one is a film director, and they're still doing that. They're still very much in that world, and I, I see them all the time. So it's cool to I'm close to it, and I can still see the the process. But now it's sort of real, right? It's like leveled up, and they actually have budgets and yeah. all that stuff, which is really cool. Um, but I, I like it now from a um, more of a creative outlet perspective. Like I, you know, I flirt with the idea of just yeah what if i just got like a 16 millimeter camera and like loaded up film and just shot weird stuff and just made stuff that doesn't really matter yeah. uh rather than having the pressure of like telling myself i want to go be like a big name like director of you know photography or whatever that's not really uh my interest anymore but um, i see yeah so you had the internship uh it went full-time any interest ever in going back to school or at that point you're just like i'm good i'm starting to make money careers on track I thought about it a lot. Um, I had a, uh, I remember somebody at the company once brought me into their office and he's like, you know, you're always gonna, you're always gonna be stressed out about school. You're always gonna think about it and you're never gonna reach your full potential because you're just gonna be thinking about that all the time. And back then I was in the mentality where I was like, cool, I'll show you. <laughs> like, I, I bet that won't be a thing and I'll, and I'll show you. So I decided, yeah, I don't, I don't need that and let me see where I can take this thing. And uh, so far, so good. So far, so, so good. far, so good. Yeah. Uh, and tell me about GitHub. What happened there? Yeah. So I had actually, um, I had interviewed there back in 2011 and, uh, I got, I got rejected and I was so bummed out because oh, there's like, GitHub is the place. That's the dream. I really, that's like dream job. I really want to be there for a design role, Uh design role. Yeah. yeah. I got rejected. And I remember feeling just so terrible about it. Um, I took another job and, uh, but I couldn't stop thinking about GitHub and um, I did that job for a couple of years. And uh, after I left that, um, I remember I wanted to go see uh, those old friends that were living in Sweden. So I went there for a month and I was like really doing nothing. I was like sleeping in parks and just kind of just like bumming around for, wow. for a while. Yeah. And uh, then I get an email from somebody at GitHub and uh, they, they wanted to have a chat. They saw, uh, hey, we saw, you know, you had uh, applied once before and interviewed. Um, would you be interested in, in doing that again? We'd love to talk to you, whatever. Um, and, uh, this time, this time it worked out. Um, uh, I think it was Mark Otto who, uh, found my name in the pile of like rejects. What, uh, what happened? That's, you never hear that happening for someone <laughs> to get rejected an employee randomly going through the rejections. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I wish I knew more of that, more of the backstory. I never Mark. really got into it. I need to, I need to hit up Mark. Mark, Mark let us know happen? what the fuck you were doing. <laughs> it's like, uh, I want to see all the people that 
didn't make the cut. <laughs> let's, it was, he just like knocked over a pile of papers while playing Destiny and it just <laughs> showed like, up. Whoa, this guy's name. Oh, shit. Oh. Yeah, after throwing out half of the resumes on top, right? He found he I found need a first unit DP. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess I guess that's the that's the story. Yeah. And uh and yeah. Um so I interviewed, I went on I, they flew me from SF, uh Sweden to SF, interviewed in person. Uh and I remember doing a um a front end interview with uh, Mark Otto. And, you know, I, I knew at that point he was like well into bootstrap stuff. And I was like, oh, you got to be kidding me. Like, I'm so close to getting this job and now I have to interview Mark Otto. This is so <laughs> stupid. I hate this. Uh, and it was fine. And, and Mark was Mark was really great. And, um, you know, like I got a, a call, uh, you know, an email a few weeks later, like got an offer and signed and packed my stuff up in a few weeks and moved to SF. Wow. Uh, thanks, Mark. Yeah, thanks, Mark. So what year was this? Yes. That was 2013. 2013, uh, how big was GitHub at the time? I think when I came in, I was 130 or so. 130. Yeah. Um, yeah, when I left, it was eight hundred, just about 800. Yeah. Uh, how many designers were there when you joined? I want to say there were probably seven or eight. My So this is very similar to your Splice. Yeah, exactly. Story going on right now. Yeah, it's um, Splice is sort of feeling a lot of the same um, not necessarily pressured to grow, but they're, they're finding success and they're finding that product market fit and like, okay, There's I think actually pains can built like, in there. Yeah. 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 I think they can, um, you know, they're, I, I can easily see this, you know, doubling, uh, you know, very, very quickly over the next year or so. Yeah. What was, what was going on at GitHub in 2013? I, you know, like what was interesting at the time? Why did you care about that product, that company? Yeah, I think. When I, I still had, uh, I'd never gotten GitHub off my mind after that rejection. I don't know if that was more the rejection or more that like it was it was GitHub. But um, I, you know, I, I'd been coding since I was eight. I thought this was like the mecca for uh, developers. This is just like the place to to be. Um, and so I was still very much interested in that stuff. And uh, so when I when I came in, they were sort of in a funny spot where they were still. Um, I think Tom was still the CEO, mm. and they were in this stage where they were sort of like. Hey, you all go out and like spend a bunch of time figuring out new products to build and go, you know, just like figure it out, like do do whatever. Um, and so there were all kinds of projects, all all, all kinds of stuff uh, going on at the time. Um, and some some things that were really cool, some things that were really weird. Um, and then um, there was a switch where Chris uh, Tom stepped down and Chris became CEO again. And Chris was very much like, okay. We we really need to focus. Like clearly, we have a. Product <laughs> we tried that's some like weird working. shit, guys. <laughs> yeah. it's like clearly, we have a thing that works that people love. Like let's go focus on that thing. Like we don't need to do all these other all these other things. So, a um, bunch of things got shut down, which obviously is a, a bummer for a lot of people. But um, it was the right call. Uh, GitHub was n- nowhere near uh, complete, and the opportunity was still so large that it was sort of a. Um, it was sort of silly to have not spent all of our time uh, on that. So, kind of refocused a bit back then. What kind of projects did you work on? Uh, when I started, I was doing, um, <laughs> there was a uh, this sort of rotating cast of, uh, of people who had passed through en- the enterprise product uh-huh. and nobody wanted to work on it. Uh-huh. So when they hired me, they're like, cool, new guy, you get the <laughs> enterprise product. <laughs> and you don't get a say otherwise. Yeah. And at the time I was, part of me was like, really? Like, that's what I'm going to do at, at GitHub. And the other part of me was like, whatever, man, I'll work on anything to get into GitHub. Just like, get, like just give me a project and I'm, I'm, I'm on it. So I did, uh, I did the enterprise stuff and I actually like, I had come from a, a, a company where I was doing more enterprise stuff right before, and uh, I was still still kind of into it. And so I, I did that for uh, about a year and a half and, and still kind of loved it. And at the end of that year and a half, I remember, I forget if, it, if maybe it was Ben Blycamp or somebody, and I, it's like, I, okay, I'm, I'm done. Like, I, I got to get off enterprise. I got to sure. do something else. This is, this is, I mean, a year and a half on a project is pretty good. Yeah, I feel like it was pretty good. Yeah. That's longer than most people spend at a company here, Yeah, I think. Well, Might in this be. room, certainly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> hey, I'm in that bucket too. No, I think like the the average here is like a year. Yeah, that's like ins- in SF that's by yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. So, what did you do after Enterprise? After Enterprise, Budget, um, Avis, Alamo, <laughs> the the good ones, same company. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, after enterprise, this is where my, my memory gets a little a little hazy. Um, I, <laughs> Were you doing a lot of drugs at the time? <laughs> <laughs> I, I won't answer that. You hear things no, about no, GitHub. No that period of my life was a blur. <laughs> no comment. Um, 
I, you know, this was a, this was early. We started exploring project management really early. Um, so GitHub has GitHub projects now. Um, and I had worked on the very, um, on the earlier version of all that stuff, uh, a few years before that must've been early 2015. Yeah. Uh, so it's a really small team. It was three of us doing tons of research. Um, we had a, it was, a, it was a good team and kind of exploring a bunch of different things in that area. And ultimately like we ended with a, um, basically what was built later on, which became GitHub projects. Um, but, uh, we, that project was shut down after a while. We moved on to other things. Um, and there was a point in there where I thought, Hey, it would be kind of cool to be like a, a product manager. Um, so I left the design work for a little bit and did the PM thing for, um, for a bit. What um, was that like? It was, it was interesting. I, I really wanted to get that side of, um, I wanted to see that side of the business. Um, I wanted to work with that, that team and sort of learn the, um, you know, more about product strategy and kind of get out of the pixels for a little bit and figure out how do I can, how I can, how do I influence people without necessarily like managing them directly and, um, kind of those, some of those skills. Um, and I really loved it, uh, to start, um, but GitHub always had kind of a weird, uh, time with, uh, PMs and the, mm -hmm. the PM org is just engineering sort of, heavy. Yeah, culture. exactly. Yeah. So, um, it, it never, it had a lot of trouble just sort of starting up and we tried it, you know, three or four times and now product management, you know, is a, is a thing. At, at GitHub, but uh, back then it was, you know, I did it for six months. It's like, okay, cool. Like, I, this is probably going to work. Let me go back to um, to design team. I see. Okay. Yeah. So you did go back to design. I did, yeah. Um, and I still wanted some of that. Um, I I was starting to. I feel like every time I've made a change in my career, I've semi consciously made it, but like I've had like a uh, an intuition about a thing that I wanted to do, but I could never really describe it. And so I, I think what I was searching for around the time was like, how do I have more impact on the product without necessarily like doing it all myself. And so that was what got me into product management. And then when I came back to the design team, there was an opening for a design manager role. And I thought, okay, maybe that's another way that I can do this. So uh, I went and did that. Uh, I did that for a while. Um, and eventually that led to the uh, um, director spot. Yeah. The uh, transition into design management is it's a pretty common thing these days. Like a lot of people are trying to figure that out or it's a career career goal how did that transition goal or transition go for you in the beginning um i tried to be really humble about it and and know that i was later you got cocky you're like <laughs> later i was all my game <laughs> baby <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that uh, <laughs> yeah in the beginning I, I i wanted to i told myself look on it like management is a uh, you know it's, it's a it's a different skill set um you've never done it before and you're probably going to screw this up so just like just be chill and you know Go go slowly, um, and then in like my first two weeks, I did like fire somebody, oh, uh, and then after that, like somebody just like was really upset with me, and it was I was sort of getting like berated a little bit. And I was like, oh wow, okay, uh, Shit. the pixels, the pixels are very alive, and they're very angry at me. Yeah, <laughs> I don't understand. Um, so that was that was a, a sort of a tough start, but um, I sort of figured out for that. And fortunately, at, at GitHub, they um at this point of the company, they had a lot of resources for coaching managers and to scale up people kind of all over the place and um, all kinds of programs to learn. Um, so I picked up those things and really like trial and error. Um, I, I kept that mindset of just like, I, I don't know anything. So let me just take everything as a learning opportunity and it's fine. Like I'm going to screw some things up. It's fine. Were there um, resources that you found helpful or was, was the best learning just doing the stuff and having to fire people and having to have people be mad at you? It was a bit of both. I think it was um, the experience of having somebody be mad at me was um, not new, like people have been mad at me in my, in my life, but certainly like, <laughs> I'm a good boy, like, <laughs> but you know, certainly like as a, as somebody in, a, in that kind of position, um, that was, it was, it was humbling. It was also sort of a moment where I had to, I, I sat there and thought, all right, well, I can't like, people can just yell at me. Like, I can't let that just be a thing, but I also like, I have to let people express themselves. So clearly there's something here that I don't know how to do yet. So let me go and, and talk to people in the company. So. Uh, I spent a lot of time with other managers. I sought out uh, mentors around the company and sort of mentors outside of the company. Um, Rebecca Cox, um, I would see uh, a lot, and she was a great mentor. And um, this uh, this other guy, Richard Jonker, um, you know, they they were both super instrumental around this time and um, really helped sort of shaped my my skill at the time. And I, I think without that without that help, uh, I probably would have been sort of you know sitting there drowning, uh, drowning a little bit. Yeah, were there particular things that they taught you that that might be useful to pass along to people that are starting out as design managers? 
Yeah, I think the maybe one of the most important lessons I learned um, is probably the most uncomfortable one um, that I, I they dealt with was like you have to be you have to be vulnerable with people. Uh, when I would watch, I always think about this when I would watch movies when you're a kid, like you see uh, a manager, like office space, right? Like managers are emotionless. They don't really care about you. You're just like a robot. Like it doesn't really matter, right? It's very funny to think of you learning your management skills from the movie Office Space. <laughs> <laughs> well, I learned what not to do, right? Okay. So it's the, it's the opposite. And so sure, sure. there's this perception of like, that's how managers are. And you're just like, you don't bring any emotion to the table. Yeah, you're yeah. just like, whatever. And so I thought at first, like maybe I should just be a very neutral, like, I'll just be very, very objective and that'll work out great for me. Um, and of course it doesn't work out because people, you're managing humans and they're not always objective and they have emotions. And um, Super weird. Yeah, I think what I what I found um, through talking with uh, both of them was that uh, let, letting that be okay and being vulnerable and showing people that like I am also human and uh, I'll show you some of my issues and maybe like You'll, you know, we'll be able to talk about yours more confidently in, in a way that isn't just like you yelling at me the entire time. Um, it helps people level with me a bit more and it helped me understand them more. Is really what I'm saying is building empathy um, and having that empathy for the other person, trying to understand, okay, why are you so upset? What's going on in your life? Like what's happening in your work? Like what's happening in your role here that you're not happy with? Uh, it's not really about me. It's always like circumstances. And so uh, early on, I didn't. I didn't get that. I just thought, man, like, what is like, why is this happening to me? I don't understand. But yeah, uh, that helped a lot. What's the uh, path from design manager to director? Is that a function of being? What's in the, the difference? Even let's start the difference, there. but also like, what's the f function there? Is it you were in the right size of company at the right time, or was that a progression that was laid out to you as an option? Like, you can continue being a design manager, or there's this other sort of side path to try and, mm. you know, move to the director role and eventually go on from there. Yeah, it was a bit of both. It was a, um, it was the right place, right time. Um, I, I was fortunate enough that I think that I had built up enough, uh, sort of rapport and respect with the designers there that I think they, uh, you know, they sort of chose me as a leader versus, you know, sort of me assuming that, I mean, it's sort of like I was doing some of those things, but, uh, it felt more like people were saying, no, you should, you should lead us. Right. Um, and that's when you got real cocky. <laughs> that's when I got there. It is. That's when I got <laughs> got it. Uh, oh, y'all love me. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this, is, this is great. I can, I can do no wrong. That's great. Uh, the people's champion, Fabian Perez. <laughs> I mean, I didn't say it, but I'm not gonna not say it. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. <laughs> um, so, so yeah. And then around the same time, uh, we were kind of reorging and, um, Jason Warner, uh, who came in as the CTO, he was, figuring out what we needed on the design side. And he thought, okay, we really need two directors there. Like I need, I need two directors there that I can work with closely who are gonna be able to translate the things that I have in my head into something that people can actually use uh, and, and like run with. Um, and so they opened up a spot, I interviewed for the role. Uh, so I, I, um, I had to go through a whole interview process and it's sort of strange to be at a company for four years and interview with the people you've been there with for four yeah. years. Yeah. Uh, so you sort of, you show up into a room and the other people on the other side are sort of smiling. They're like, hey, what's up? Like, I, I <laughs> know you. I'm like, yeah. yeah, this is weird. This is awkward. Um, but yeah, so I interviewed and, um, you know, I think it was because people had already, I think they had already sort of thought like, yes, like we want you to lead us. I think it was sort of a, the interview. I, I don't know that it was a formality necessarily, but it sort of felt that way. I was sort of like, okay, like, I think that I'll do well here. I'm respected. Like, I, th I think I know what I'm doing. I think I'm competent. Like, maybe this will go well. Uh, and so it did. Um, and to answer uh, your question, Bryn, uh, about the, the difference, um, management was really all about um, sort of the day-to-day -day prioritization, the planning, like making sure that uh, we had deadline over here that like the people that you were working with and, and responsible for were going to hit those deadlines and, and those things. Uh, in the director role, it was much less of that, um, much more coaching of those managers. And also that translation layer that I mentioned, like Jason is articulating a thing that's very abstract and he's not going to hand that over to like a, an IC designer. He's like, okay, you all, mm -hmm. you know, you directors of product design, like figure out what the hell I mean. Cause I don't re I'm not really sure, but like, I think there's something there. So you go it's, figure it it's out. It's like figuring out the tactical parts and everything. Is right? there an example that comes to mind to paint a clear, clearer picture? Yeah. Um, I, I wish I could talk about this one example, but it's not out yet. So, uh, it's a max, max, maybe we'll talk about it sometime. Um, there was uh, a lot of the reason why um, 
somebody uh, or why Max came on board is is Jason. You know, has this about Max uh, Schoening. Max Schoening, yes. Um, Jason sort of had this uh, this feeling in his head. Um, this thing is probably this is where the industry is going. This thing is probably interesting. This is probably going to be important. Um, I need to get somebody in the room with me to sort of like whiteboard, right? To really sketch out this stuff. And so uh, early on when Max was coming on board, that was the two of them, Jason articulating a thing and Max sort of helping him shape that vision. I see. And shape that into something that was actually like a, a product, right? Yeah. Um, and that was... Can we pause for a sec? I think my wife just got home. Sorry. Do you remember where you were? We were talking about God, um, Sarah. Jason. <laughs> Jason and Max. Yeah. So, um, so you know, somebody uh, on this particular project, uh, you know, Max, Max, as a, as a product design director, is helping Jason sort of articulate those things in, in a way that can actually be sort of articulated to the rest of the company. Because um, so often um, at that level, that things are so abstract, and you sort of have this feeling like, okay, this, the industry's headed this way what do we do with this information? Uh, And as directors of product design, so much of our job was sitting there and thinking through, okay, given the information you've just given me, what do we do? Like, what do we do do with that? How do we build an experience out of that? Um, And that was a large part of the job. Um, And then helping our managers understand, okay, here, here's the thing, figure out how to break this up into a way that we can actually get this, get this done and align your designers Mm -hmm. uh, that way. It's a pretty fast path as well from IC to to a director level role. It was. Did yeah. you ever feel uncomfortable with that or did did you feel like you spent enough time in each each I guess band? You know, I um It's interesting. I think uh I there was a lot of discomfort along the way. Uh and I think that I've I think discomfort's good, right? That's where that's where growth comes from. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it did. I rec- you know, I definitely recognize like it happened so quickly that I, I sort of, uh, in some ways, I feel like I short circuited or took shortcuts here and there. Um, and so I, I think there are probably gaps. Yeah, I, I think that I probably don't have a complete um, of all the things that could happen. I've probably seen eight percent of it, right? In yeah. say like a manager role, and certainly like in a director role, I, I've seen very very little of it relative to everything else. Uh, so. The way that I'm thinking about it now is, is you know, keeping that same mentality I had early on, or just like, okay, you know nothing. Like you're gonna like do your best, but everything is learning opportunity, and like don't kid yourself into thinking that you're like good, yeah. right? Just like just um, be open to being wrong, kind of all the time. Um, and so I'm rolling with it that way, and we'll see, we'll see how it goes. That seems healthy. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> Having an open mind to learning, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I certainly don't want to make the mistake. I, I don't feel, say, incompetent, right? But sure, I don't want sure. to make the mistake of thinking that um, I suddenly am, you know, really good at this this thing that being promoted quickly means that I'm actually good. It's just like, yeah. I was circumstantial. I was also very lucky. Like, I, 90% of it was, was luck. So mm-hmm. um, when you can recognize it, I think that's that's that keeps you yeah. somewhat humble. So you stayed at GitHub for five years uh, at, at the Mecca. He said it. He said it. <laughs> Not me. I'm repeating it. Uh, what happened at the end that made you maybe itch for something else? Yeah. Um, so we already established like a year is a is a good amount of time. Before, you know, and that's that's a good amount of time to change your your job. <laughs> so really, I should have changed my job five times. I did yeah. it like three times within GitHub. Yeah. Um, and so by the time I got to my fifth year, I still really uh, loved the work that I was doing. The, the team is mm-hmm. phenomenal and everybody there is, is great and, and the product is, is so good. Um, but then I started thinking, um, man, you know, I sort of feel kind of safe. I feel like I can't really mess up anymore, um, which, you know, maybe is not necessarily real. But I'm the uh, people's champion. At least no <laughs> one's going to call me out on it. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, at times it sort of felt that way. Like, I, you know, it was like you spend five years in a place you build up a lot of friendships. People like you. They like working with you. They like you. Sort of. I, I felt like I uh, maybe wasn't taking enough risks anymore, um, and so that didn't feel great. Uh, and I, you know, Splice came along and they said, "Hey, we should we should chat." Uh, so I spoke to them for a while, and I thought, "Cool, here's a chance to go do the same thing. Uh, get to go be a director somewhere, build out a team, and you know, um, grow the org and scale all that stuff." But now there's no safety net because I don't know anybody. Um, I 
I can, I can fail. People will let me uh, fail um, and I can really screw this up. Uh, and it's, I don't want to say that I couldn't screw anything at GitHub up. It's just sort of, that's, that's how it felt. Um, so yeah, uh, I needed more, I needed more pressure. I needed to feel a little bit like uh, I was in a danger zone. <laughs> People do that to themselves though. It's like, <laughs> I'm not feeling enough pain right now. I'm too comfortable. <laughs> Life sucks. I'm too happy. I'm not saying it's rational by <laughs> any stretch of the I imagination. I mean, that's a lot of driven people, right? You just get bored with doing good things. <laughs> it's like comfortable. Yeah, it's really weird. It's really weird. It's weird. Uh, it's also really hard to articulate it to your parents who are still mildly upset with you for dropping out of college. You know, they're yeah. like, okay, but you said you were going to stay at this job. It's like, well, I did for five years. And they're like, okay, but they're like, like, five years is not a long time. You're like, no, mom, dad, you don't get it. Five years, I'm like a dinosaur at GitHub. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they're like, cool, I've been doing the same job for 30 years at yeah, the same yeah. company. Like, that's cool. that's weird. Um, <laughs> Pat you on the head. Good job. Five years. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it, 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 it's weird. I think it's a somewhat, a, you know, something of a, an emotional uh, decision. Um, but sure. I, I don't know. I, I, I sort of felt, uh, I don't like that feeling of, of it's weird to say, it's, it sounds so stupid to say, like, I, I don't like that feeling of comfort. But Like complacency? Complacency, yeah. I, 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 like, I, I want to feel like I'm growing all the time. Yeah. And I, I thought I'd hit my cap there. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the opportunity to keep growing was, was sort of limited. Sure, sure. Uh, so uh, this was a little different. And the Microsoft announcement happened after you left. That must have been surprising. It was, you know, so you, you're you there five years and you hear rumors all the time, right? This is like, oh, we're going to IPO tomorrow. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> we're, we're all rich now, right? That's, that's great. Um, and of course, it never it never comes. And so I heard the rumor a couple of weeks before and I'm like, cool. Heard it, heard it a thousand times, whatever. And then uh, a few days before the announcement that Bloomberg article comes out, that mm-hmm. it, you know, it sort of says Microsoft appears to have done X. And so I started thinking, all right, this is, this is weird. This yeah. is interesting. And Stage then, two rumor. <laughs> yeah, that, like that was the furthest it's uh, I, I'd seen it go. And then, um, yeah, the Monday morning that I was meant to go start my first day at Splice, uh, Microsoft publishes their blog post about acquiring GitHub. Um, and you know, super surreal moment, uh, sitting there and saying, "Oh, this is oh, this is real. This yeah. is uh, after all the all this time, people sort of coming with all these rumors like this one actually stuck." Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, I guess it's just interesting to hear how you reacted. I don't think it's necessarily useful to get your your hot take on what's going to happen because I know there's a lot in the air right there's, now. Yeah, a lot in the air. Um, plenty of plenty of hot takes. Well, and it doesn't even close till December. Yeah, so. exactly. There's plenty yeah. of time to drop the drop the ball on some side. So yeah, um, yeah. But I, I do think it, you know, given it, uh, assuming it closes, I think it's a good it's a good thing for for GitHub. Um, the the resources of Microsoft are going to be great, and uh, Nat seems like a perfect fit yeah. uh, to leave the company. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy for everybody there. I think mm-hmm. that's a that's the best possible outcome. The Xamarin acquisition seems very closely tied with them starting to contribute more heavily to open source and like becoming like a, a bigger player in like the developer space. Yep. And then this just feels like a, a natural continuation for that. Like they've done a good job of like stewarding those yeah. things. So totally. Pretty exciting. I'm excited. Yeah. I, I mean, mean I, I don't know. Maybe nothing will change. Like maybe GitHub will be this like independent thing for a long, long time. Now it's called Git on Azure Enterprise Edition. <laughs> 365. 365. 365. I can't wait to pick up my license. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> Using your live.com email address. It'll, well, it'll be home edition and then you'll need enterprise edition and then there'll yeah. be like a student edition and like, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Automatic updates, forced mm-hmm. updates. Love it. It's going to be great. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. If they do to Windows, if they, yeah. GitHub, now Fing- part of Microsoft Office. <laughs> Fingers crossed. It's not a bad idea. No, um, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> Shut your mouth. Version controlling everything? Uh, whatever. Uh, so you've started your new gig. Uh, is there anything keeping you up at night these days? Obviously, it's a big change, but is there anything on your mind? Making sure the... Microsoft deal closes. <laughs> you're coming. Oh, that's why you're here. I see. Okay. Flew back. To Don't sort fuck of, this up. <laughs> smooth some cracks over. I get it. Yeah. Uh, there was a, there was a joke at, at Spice on my first day. People were sort of aware of this and I had taken a couple months off between jobs and yeah. um, people sort of knew this. So they were like, cool. It's amazing that you spent the last couple months like creating this deal, like creating the, the like acquisition. <laughs> Good job. It's like amazing that you did it in two months. Yeah. I, I, I try. 
That's right. He left a joke yeah. in the code base about Microsoft, so now he had to come back here and fix it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a uh, just repel into the building and yeah. you know, just lasers everywhere. It's Top it's secret. Great. Yeah, um, but I got it done. I cool. It done. Yeah. Um, you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think right now the thing that keeps me up is um, I think there, in a in a really good way, I think there are a lot of expectations of me uh, at, at Spice. I think the team, the design team there, has wanted some somebody in this role for so long. And I think they they have so been looking forward to it uh, that I, you know, I, I take that very seriously and I, I want to do good by, by them. And, um, you know, I, I certainly think a lot about just how can I continue to just get better and better and hopefully uh, I do a good job with uh, with this team. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, yeah. I'm excited to, to see what you work on. We'll see. Uh, thanks for Sweet, coming man. and hanging out. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. That was episode 254. Thanks so much to Fabian for coming out from New York just to record a podcast with us. Classic. Classic. Thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Sarah for editing for us. Mm -hmm. Thank you to Brian for being here. Uh And thank you to Abstract for supporting us. Yeah. Uh, Abstract is a platform for modern design teams to work better together inside of a secure version-controlled hub for all of your design files. This is the upgrade that your team needs to build products together faster, easier, uh, improve. Harder, faster, better, stronger. Harder, yes, better, yes, better, yes, stronger. yes. That's actually what the Daft Punk song is about, is abstract. Abstract. Little known fact, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, mostly. They were also time wizards. <laughs> they were also time wizards, <laughs> goddammit. Uh, go to goabstract.com. They're offering a free month as soon as you sign up. Get your team on board. Upgrade the way you work together at goabstract.com. Thanks to Abstract, and we'll see you next week.